toughest years of my life. I've, I've had a couple of rough ones. I've had, you know, some bad stuff like we all have. But this year, man, it's just been tough. And it's one of those things is just from out of nowhere, you know, something happens. Okay, I can deal with this. I'll, I'll get through it. And then something else happens. Okay, I can deal with it. I'll get through it. Then something else, you know. And after a while, it's like, oh, my goodness. And I was just thinking just recently, a couple of weeks ago, how I feel different. You know, I, I like to think that I'm a person that's gen, generally happy and genuinely happy, not, not fake happy, but I want to be a happy person. I like to think I'm a person that has joy in my heart, and it just comes out, and it's just who I am, and I want that to be the case, and I try to work on that. I try to work on my attitude and things like that, but I was thinking just a couple of weeks ago, man, it's just, I just don't seem to be able to shake this thing. I don't feel like myself. It's like this dark cloud is just on me all the time, and you know, I feel like generally my natural state is kind of one of happiness and joy, and then something bad happens every now and then, and I go through it, and I get over it, and I go right back to my natural state. And I feel like here it's kind of flipped, that it, it almost feels like my natural state is one of almost depression, just being down. And every now and then something happens, and I kind of come up for air every now and then, and, and things are good a little bit, and then it's right back on me. And that's unusual for me. It's been tough for me to deal with because, you know, what do you do with, with that kind of stuff? And I have thought about it a lot lately. I've thought a lot about depression lately and um, how people deal with it and what it is and why it works the way it does and all that kind of thing. And so that's kind of stuff I'd, I've just kind of been dealing with. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ron comes to me. Hey, man, what you think about Advent? I'm in favor of it. He said, well, you want to speak? Said, well, yeah, sure. I'd love to. We do. You know, we always do this Advent every year. One a week. I said, yeah, I'd be glad to. He said, all right, I'm going to do the first one. I'm going to do hope and peace, and then I'm going to get you to do the second one. Okay, fine. What is it? Joy. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Seriously? Let's talk about endurance or, or patience or something, but joy? Could he have found uh, a subject that I felt less worthy to stand here and bring to you today I'm not sure he could have um, and I'm sure he didn't I'm sure that was the Lord I knew as soon as he said I said okay okay because the Lord was saying you need to look at this you need to study this you need to start to understand this in a deeper better way than you do now so I'm preaching to me this morning and me alone and you guys get to listen but I, I want you to understand that this message is for me. You ever been in a service where you felt like, man, he's talking about me. I know he's talking about me. You ever been there? <laughs> well, I promise you this morning, I'm the only one I'm speaking to. So if, if you feel that way, then it must be the Lord or the Holy Spirit or something. I promise you it's not me. So I want to start. Um, let's pray real quickly before we start, and uh, then we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father. Thank you. Yes, that is the way we should always start. Thank you. Thank you. You are such a good God. You are so much better to us than we could ever deserve. Your mercy is unending. Your goodness is unfathomable. Uh, 
what else can we do but say thank you? We, we praise you, we worship you, and we appreciate you, Father. And secondly, I ask for help. Lord, help me this morning. Um, I want to do a good job. I want to deliver your word in the right way, Lord. I want to rightly divide the word of truth. And um, I pray that the folks that are listening this morning, whether they're here in person or online or some future date, um, that, that they'll get something of you out of this. And whatever is just foolishness and is of me and is not right, I pray that they would be able to discern that quickly and get rid of it and uh, just stick with the with the stuff that is meaningful and is of you. So I ask you to do that for us this morning in Jesus' name. So as I started to kind of dig into this and look into this a little bit, um, the first thing that kind of started to really occur to me is that joy, I'm speaking on joy this morning, is not just a nice little added bonus to being a Christian, right? It could be, and that would be wonderful. God has saved us by sending his son to die for us so that we may be forgiven of our mighty sin, uh, many sins and redeemed and inherit eternal life with God the Father instead of being cast into hell forever where we deserve. He could have stopped right there. That's plenty, right? But he goes further. And one of the things he does further for us is says, here's joy. I want you to have joy. I'm giving you my joy, and I want you to have it and enjoy it and be filled with the joy of the Lord. That's awesome. But it's not just a nice little added bonus. By the way, I also, what the heck, I'm going to give you joy. It's pretty stinking close to a commandment, the way I read the Scripture. Now, I'm going to stop a little short of that, and I'm going to let you guys read Scripture for yourself and see what you think about that. But I believe, for me, I believe it's a commandment. Listen to a few verses here. I'm going to start in Psalm 68, verse 3. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sounds kind of like a commandment, doesn't it? In Philippians 4, 4, we're familiar with this one. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We sing about that, don't we? That sounds kind of like a commandment. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 14, verse 7. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, I don't see any way around this. Righteousness, sure, we say, yeah, yeah we know we've got to be righteous. Peace, okay, sure, we're supposed to keep peace. And joy. It's one of the three things that Paul says describe the kingdom of God. This is what it is. Righteousness, peace, and joy. If you don't have joy, something's missing. Something's missing in the kingdom of God. That cannot be. And in Galatians, I know you, you know this, but this is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are things that if you're a Christian, 
if the Holy Spirit has done a work in you and changed you and dwells within you, these things are supposed to be in you and are supposed to be coming out of you. And the second one listed, and I'm not saying he listed them in order of, of importance. I don't know, but it's kind of interesting that the second one listed is joy, right behind love. We know how important love is, and joy is number two on that list. And again, I'm not saying that's order of importance, but it's interesting to me that that's the second thing listed. The more you read Scripture, and there's a lot. There's a lot. I could have pulled many, many verses out. I had trouble picking the ones I wanted to use because there's just so many. Read it and see what it says about having joy. It doesn't sound like a suggestion. And furthermore, the more you read, the less and less it sounds like an option. Sounds like a command to me. Maybe more importantly to us, I believe that joy is a necessity for the Christian. Not just because God says we ought to have it. That's reason enough. Not just because God has provided it and said, here is my joy. I want you to have it. Have the joy of the Lord in your heart. That's enough. But not just because of that, but because joy, I believe, fuels us and energizes us for doing the good works that the God that God has called us to do and not only that but it energizes us to endure you're going to go through some tough stuff in this life all of us do all of us are if you hadn't gone through any yet just hang on I promise you it's coming I'm not trying to depress you but I'm telling you it's coming you might as well be ready and you're going to need something to help get you through that We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. I've got an, another verse that you guys are really familiar with, at least part of this. This is in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. It starts by saying, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's not in there for nothing. He didn't write that down just because it sounded good at the moment. That's the spirit of the living God speaking through the prophet Nehemiah saying, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not just some little added nice benefit, some nice little bonus. This is something we need. So let's talk for a minute about what it is, okay? What is joy? When we use that word, what exactly are we talking about? I think we get it really, really kind of twisted together and intertwined with happiness, of course. When we think of joy, we think of, of happiness, which is fine and natural. But I want to make a distinction between joy and happiness because I want to really get down to the root of what this thing, joy, that the Scripture is talking about, what it, what it really is. So I'm going to make a distinction now between joy and and happiness, and you may say, oh, it's, it's semantics. We, we kind of use the words kind of interchangeably sometimes. But for now, bear with me. I want to define what is this biblical joy that we see in the Scripture. So what's the difference between that and happiness? Well, I think that the chief difference is that happiness, it's an emotion, and it's an emotional response to things in our environment. Happiness depends on conditions or circumstances right? Happiness is temporary. It can last for a good little while. It can also be really, really quick. It kind of comes and goes. It ebbs and flows quite a bit, right? Uh, there's lots of things that make us happy. 
lots of things that make us unhappy. But it has to do with what our likes and desires and wants and feelings are. Who knows where all of that comes from? And it has to do with outside influences and conditions. And think about this for a minute. In a way, we don't really have anything to do with either one of those things. I mean, I think we should. I think that we should control our emotions. I think that's something important for us to do is not allow our emotions to control us, but instead we control our emotions. That's not natural, I would argue, that naturally the way we are as fallen men is we're just driven by our emotions. We see something we want, we go after it. We have a desire for something, we, we chase that, we go after that. Something makes us angry, we, we lash out. If something scares us, we react to that. That's kind of our natural state as fallen man. But I think especially as Christians, we need to learn how to control those emotions and not let them control us. It's kind of putting the cart before the horse kind of thing. So we can, I think we should control some of those things. But if you think about it, think of things that you like and think about why do you like those things? You know, I like chocolate a lot. I get excited when Christmas comes around because I eat more chocolate than I should. I say, it's Christmas, you know. Got to do it. It's Christmas. Chocolate makes me happy. It does. It makes me happy. I don't know why I like chocolate. I never at any point in my life sat down and said, you know what? I need to like chocolate. There's all kind of chocolate out there. It's easily available. People have it abundantly. I should like it. And in that way, when I got some, it would make me happy. That never, ever happened to me. It never occurred to me. I just like chocolate. Always have, as long as I can remember. And when I get some chocolate, it makes me happy. Unless the chocolate's nasty. You ever had nasty chocolate? What a disappointment. What a bitter, bitter disappointment to get a piece of chocolate. And you, oh, oh, yeah. Boy, this looks like good chocolate right here. And you take a bite. Oh, man, what in the world? It's awful. I, I remember when I was a little kid. My mom, like many, many moms, has always been pretty health conscious and wanted to, you know, feed her family good things and that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, for a while, this was a long time ago, chocolate was getting a particularly bad rap. And, and I think it's probably more the sugar than the actual chocolate, but they were just chocolate. Chocolate was not great for you. So they came out with this stuff, or uh, they already had it, but, but it started to get popular, called carob, C-A-R-O-B. Some of you guys may remember carob. And so mom said, all right, we're going to cut out the chocolate, and we're going to use carob instead. What? She said, no, but it tastes just like chocolate. It's just good for you. It's healthy. It's good for you. By the way, I know nothing about carob. I'm not saying it's good for you. I hadn't seen any in a long time, so I, I'm just, just telling you the story. We're going to have carob. Okay. It tastes just like chocolate. You won't know the difference. Okay. But it smells funny. What? Yeah, it smells funny, but it's okay. It tastes, it tastes good. It tastes like chocolate. So the first time, I don't remember if it was just the raw carob or she cooked it in something or what, what the deal was. I don't remember. But the first time I got this carob, of course, the first thing I do is smell it. You know, she'd already warned me ahead of time. Y'all, I'm telling you, it smelled like dirty socks. I'm not even joking. It smelled like dirty socks. I'm like, I can't enjoy something that smells like socks. I mean, even if it does taste good, I know what it smells like. It's too late, you know. What a disappointment, you know. So that's how fickle, right, our happiness is. It's so based on our emotions, and our emotions are 
so, you know, driven and tossed by the waves and the winds. I was thinking about there's a little gas station that I, I used to stop at a lot. I don't go there so much anymore, but I used to stop there a lot in the mornings on the way to work. And there's this guy I would see in there a lot. He must, I'm guessing he's in there every day. He's in there a lot. And he's at the counter buying these lottery tickets or whatever you call them, the, the scratch-off things that y'all see, you know. You always have to wait on somebody in line buying them things, right? And so this gas station, they must have oh, 20 or 30 different ones to choose from. So people are, mm, give me a number five and give me two of them 11s. You know, I'm, I just want a cup of coffee, you know. So this guy, he's in there regularly buying these things. And then I see him outside in his truck, <laughs> right? And every now and then, when he comes in in line, he hands them one. And they run it into a machine, and it says, winner, $20 or, or whatever. You know. And whatever he wins, he spends it on more of those tickets, right? What's that guy doing? That guy is purchasing a little bit of happiness, right? That's exactly what he's doing. He's spending however much of his money to purchase a little bit of temporary happiness. It's not going to last but so long. In fact, it might not last past the point where he gets through scratching that stuff off. But every now and then he wins a little, and then he's a little more happy. And I guess the more he wins, the happier he is. And then he takes that money and he buys more of those things and gets unhappy again when he, when he doesn't win anything. Well, I go in that store because that store has a kitchen back in the corner, and they cook, and they cook onion sausage in there. And it is good onion sausage. It's some of the best onion sausage I've ever found. And I like onion sausage. Onion sausage makes me happy. <laughs> a good, hot piece of onion sausage, man, will put a smile on my face, I'm telling you. Now, I don't buy those tickets. I never bought one. I don't know anything about them. I'm not speaking against them. I don't care what you, what you think about them, whatever. But I don't mess with them. This seems to me a waste of money. I just, I just can't see spending my money on something like that. But onion sausage, you know, that's a whole different ball game, you know. We need food to eat, to survive, right, to flourish. And onion sausage, I think, has some nutrition in it somewhere in there. But it sure tastes good. So in one way, this other guy and myself, we were doing completely different things. But in another way, we're doing exactly the same thing. We're going in that store to purchase a little bit of happiness. You ever seen a kid standing in front of the counter, the, the candy aisle, looking, and he's got that money in his hand, and he's about to make a big decision. And then you know when you see that kid's face, oh, they sell happiness in this store. That's what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with selling happiness. If people want to buy it and you can sell it, why not? But that's not joy, okay? There's a big difference because joy, at least what I see in Scripture, this kind of godly joy that I see in Scripture, is something that comes from inside. And instead of it being determined by outside factors and by the way we feel and the things that we like and the things that we desire, on the other hand, joy kind of shapes those things, you know? Joy will kind of shape our attitude towards different things. 
In fact, it'll make you not be so unhappy about certain things. If you have the joy of the Lord in you, it can begin to kind of overwhelm you, you know? And it can kind of make you start thinking, I don't need any of that other stuff, man. And something bad happens, so what? I'm saved. I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I've got the joy of the Lord inside of my heart and in my life. And it'll, instead of being affected by other things, it can affect those other things, the way we look at things and the way we see things. Happiness is very temporary, right? It can last about as long as a good piece of onion sausage (laughs) or about as long as a losing lottery ticket. Or it can last for, for quite a while, but it's not a permanent state. It can be affected by many things. Something can happen to make you really happy, and then something else happens right after that and take all your happiness away. Joy is not that. Joy doesn't work that way. Joy isn't determined by the outside circumstances and situations that we face every day. It's not even determined by our attitude. It's there. It's something that the Lord gives us as Christians. It's something that he puts in us, and it ought to be permanent. It ought to always be there. And you might be thinking, you ain't been through some of the stuff I've been through. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I agree, I haven't been through the things you've been through, but I'm still going to argue that even in those things, you should have the joy of the Lord in your heart. That doesn't mean you got to be happy. And I'm not talking about being fake and acting like everything's okay. We go through stuff and, and we deal with it. We get sad. We get upset. Things affect us. That's, that's just life. Jesus was affected by things, okay? So I'm not saying you got to be fake and phony and act like everything's okay when it's not. But the joy of the Lord, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, should never, ever leave you. He should always be there. Listen to this verse from Psalm. This is Psalm 1611. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's talking about God. He's talking about our God, our Lord, our King, our Savior, our Father. At His hand are pleasures forevermore. And in His presence, fullness of joy. Not little pieces of joy. Fullness of joy. I thought I would read a little bit from you guys because I thought it was so neat. I'm going to try to go through this pretty quickly. Um, This is a, a little section from the Heidelberg Catechism. I don't know if you guys have ever looked into any catechisms. I think they're kind of neat. There's, there's two that I really like. One's the Westminster Catechism, and one is the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg's my favorite. And a catechism is just kind of a, a, a statement of faith. If a denomination might put it together. It's typically something you'll see in a Christian church or denomination. And what they'll often do is put it in the form of questions and answers. So they ask a question. Then they'll give the answer, and it's kind of like saying, this is what we believe based on what we see in the Bible, you know. So I really like the Heidelberg Catechism. If you've never read it before, I would encourage you to check it out. I think it's, it's pretty neat. The first two questions of the Heidelberg Catechism kind of deal with what we're talking about this morning. So I want to read this for you. Question one is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is that I am not my own but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Now, <laughs> amen, amen. Isn't that cool? If that doesn't give you joy as a Christian. So then question two says, well, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the answer is three things, just three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Hallelujah. Amen. So, so you should have joy as a Christian because you have been forgiven. Amen. That's, that's an awesome thing, and you ought to have joy because you've been forgiven of your sins. God's answer to our guilt is grace. How awesome is that? God's answer to our guilt is grace. And the appropriate response to grace is gratitude. And gratitude is followed by joy, right? So that's kind of the order that I think we should see it in. God's grace has been poured out abundantly to us. And the only appropriate response to that kind of grace is gratitude. Just incredible gratitude towards him for what he's done for us. And joy will follow that gratitude. I think that's the way God designed it and the way it works. But it goes even further than that. Not only did he redeem us by paying for our sins, and forgive us for our sins, He cleanses us. He washes away all our guilt and sets us free from sin. What a mighty God we serve. How incredible is He? I want you to listen to this. It's a scripture from Ephesians. This is from chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives. That's the, the, the women's favorite passage in all of the Bible, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's talking about me and you being presented before God Spotless. How's that possible? How's that possible? Y'all don't know me. How's it possible that Christ is not only going to forgive me for my sins, redeem me, and make way for me to have eternal life with God, but He is going to cleanse me and present me spotless before God the Father? That's incredible. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have said, all right. I'm going to pay for your sins. I'm going to provide for your forgiveness. We're going to let you in. But from now on, I want you groveling on your face in the dirt. Because you'll never 
pay for what I've done for you. I want to see you in your face. Every, I want you in sackcloth and ashes the rest of your life on your face, groveling, thinking and praising and worshiping. He doesn't do that. He forgives me and then says, now I'm going to clean you up and make you white as snow. You're not going to have a spot or a blemish or even a wrinkle when I present you before the Lord. That's incredible. That's incredible. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revivals, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I hate to tell you, he covered me in there in a couple of places. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. We ought to have joy because of that. We ought to know joy because of those kind of things, right? That's incredible. So I'm saying that if happiness is the response to favorable circumstances, joy is the response to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Now, we know those circumstances can come and go. Those favorable circumstances today might be quite unfavorable tomorrow. But the goodness of Jesus never changes. It never wavers. It is always the same. And so we can always have joy if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, I did want to touch on something that I thought was really interesting. Um, there's a, another type of joy that's, that's talked about sometimes. Um, there's an author named David Brooks who kind of popularized this. He calls it moral joy. And I wanted to talk about it for a minute because I think it's pretty interesting. Um, he says, and of course, I'm, I'm trying to put this quickly, and these are my words, but he says that moral joy is when you recognize that there's a moral right, that there's a, a way that we should behave, that there is such a thing as right and wrong, moral and immoral. And you look at it and you determine what is morally right, and then you live according to those principles. And then it gives you a kind of joy, knowing that you're kind of in step with what is right. Now, this guy's not a Christian. And he wasn't talking from a Christian perspective, wasn't trying to make this religious at all, which is kind of fascinating. I don't understand how you talk about morality and leave God out of it entirely, but that's, that's kind of the way he, he dealt with this. But I think he's right. I mean, I think we do feel good about living the life that we believe we're supposed to live. I mean, even as a non-Christian, in fact, if you're not a Christian, I'm not sure what all you got to hang on to, you know. Of course, the problem is who gets to define morality, you know. I guess by this definition, Hitler could have had moral joy. He could have said, I'm doing what I think is right. And he could have walked in that and, and found some sort of joy in that. So, of course, the, the huge problem with this is what is actually moral and immoral? Where is that line and who decides? And, of course, God is the one who sets that standard. But even as Christians, I think that we can experience this. Now, 
maybe this is just semantics. Maybe you might say, well, this is just really another kind of happiness or something like that. But it seems to me to be closer to a joy. It's not really determined by your outside circumstances and outside situations. But it's in knowing that I'm walking according to the will of God. And that brings joy. I think it just naturally and ought to just bring joy. And I think it's okay, perfectly okay. I don't see any, any problem with that. But I kind of want to distinguish between that and the scriptural godly joy that we've been talking about today because this moral joy, if, if we want to use that term, is determined by our performance, right? It's how good a job I'm doing. If I'm doing a good job, then I feel good about it, and I think that's okay. I think we should feel good about it when we're doing a good job. But if I'm not doing a good job, then what happens to my joy? Does that mean the joy of the Lord is gone? It shouldn't. Now, don't get me wrong. I think if we're living in sin, we don't get to experience and enjoy the joy of the Lord. I think he'll show it to us sometimes to, to bring us back. I think it still exists. But you can't live in sin and in the joy of the Lord at the same time. I just don't believe that. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying there. But I do think there's kind of maybe a second kind of joy that just comes from knowing this is God's word, this is God's will, and I'm doing my best to walk in it. You know, I'm trying to be a righteous person. Listen to this verse of Scripture uh, kind of along those lines. This is from 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 10. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we, deceives, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he's kind of talking about these two different things here. Yeah, we should live without sin and we should feel good about living without sin. But when we sin, it's Jesus that takes care of us. And if we say well, I, I just don't sin. I've never sinned. Then we're making him a liar. And in a way, we're diminishing the work of Christ. So we've got to be able to admit, we need Jesus. I cannot do it on my own. It's about him. And we've got to have that joy of knowing that we have a Savior that has died for us and made a way for us and provided for us. That's got to be first. And then the joy of walking according to his will and according to his word can come too. Think about Job. I've thought a lot about Job as I was preparing for this. In fact, I started to, I thought seriously about basing the whole message out of Job. That sounds kind of weird, right? But I decided not to. But I did want you to kind of think about Job and consider Job. Think about everything he went through. You know, his circumstances surely led to the loss of his happiness. He wasn't happy right? But even though he remained obedient to God, God called him righteous. His moral joy also was unsustainable, right? I'm surely, surely he felt good about the fact that he was walking in righteousness. He was living a righteous life. I'm sure he felt good about that and had a, had a joy that comes from that. But that wasn't enough to sustain him through what he went through. So what was left then? Utter despair? 
No, it doesn't seem that way. And was it only a matter of faith? I think it's an interesting question. Is it just a matter of Job had faith and he just clung to that faith? And of course, yes, he had faith. And it was incredible faith. And yes, that faith was, was highly important. Faith, if that was all he had, I think would maybe have just gotten him through that. You remember when his wife came to him and said, why don't you curse God and die? Right? Yeah, and he said, honey, you sound like one of those foolish women. You know that's not true, you know. So here, here's kind of his choice to curse God and die or to just not curse God, right? But that's not what happened. Job worshipped when he got all this news, when the people came to him and said, your cattle are gone, your camels are gone, your sheep are gone, your servants have been killed, and then the most devastating news of all, all ten of your children have been killed all at the same time. I alone have survived to come and tell you about it. All of that happened before the one could get through speaking. The next one was there. All of that happened right there at one time for him. And Scripture said he tore his clothes, he laid down on the ground in the dirt, and he worshipped the Lord. And I'm telling you, I don't think that's just a matter of faith. I think you have to have the joy of the Lord in your heart and in your life to get you through to that kind of level. Now, he was hurting, and it was obvious. He was sad. It was obvious. He was going through a lot. It was obvious to everybody who knew him. Everyone who was around him could see he was hurt and he was struggling. But I believe that the joy of the Lord still lived in him and was still affecting the way he responded and the way he lived and the way he reacted. And I think that's something we've got to have. And then what about Jesus? Think of all he went through, right? No one has ever gone through what Jesus went through for us. We can't even imagine. We don't even understand. Maybe one day we'll understand. But right now we can't even understand what he went through. But listen to what Hebrews 12.2 says. This blows my mind. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's incredible. This is saying that Jesus went through what he went through for us because of the joy that was set before him. He knew something about the joy of the Lord, and he knew it's worth it. It's worth it. Whatever I have to go through, the joy of the Lord is going to get me through, and it's going to be okay. That's amazing. So, I thought a lot about, like, what robs us of our joy. There's a lot of things, and I'm going to really quickly just touch on some of this because I want to wrap this up. I, I, there's a lot of things you could come up with. I, I, I boiled it down to this. Foolishness, forgetfulness, and faint-heartedness, right, can deplete us of our joy. Foolishness, you know, can be sinning. We just cannot experience the joy of the Lord while we're participating in sin. It just doesn't work that way. It will deplete our joy. And also, dwelling on the past. I'm calling that foolishness. I mean, we should learn from our past. We're not going to forget our past. 
But that's our past. What we did before Jesus came and changed us, that's, that's another life. What happened yesterday was yesterday. We've got to keep marching forward. We've got to keep going forward. Forgetfulness. Have we at times or do we at times, like the children of Israel, forgotten all he's done for us and forgotten his benefits? As Psalm 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forgetting who we serve, forgetting the benefits that the Lord provides for us can deplete your joy. You know, Jesus said when he was at the Last Supper with the disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. He's telling us, remember, remember, don't forget. It's funny how we, as humans and as Christians, we forget the things we shouldn't forget and remember the things we shouldn't remember, right? And then faint-heartedness, you know. Um, we've just got to build up enough strength in our knowledge and peace and joy of the Lord that we're not so easily defeated by things that come against us. I love this quote. It was told of Martin Luther that whenever he heard some really bad news, he would say, come, let us sing a psalm and spite the devil. That's the kind of, you know, kind of energy and the kind of courage I want to have that when bad things happen, I, I like a, I heard a friend of mine say something had happened. He said, is that all you got, devil? Come on, is that all you got? I want to be like that. So I wrote this at kind of the end of all my study and looking at this and thinking about all this, and I want to give this to you just for your consideration to see what you think. We as Christians do not have the right not to have joy. We will inevitably forget about it from time to time. Circumstances and emotions will overwhelm us and cause us to momentarily lose sight of the riches and goodness of Christ with which we have so generously been provided. I do not mean to say that we will never be sad or find ourselves in any other state other than happiness. However, to lose all hope, to despair, to completely forget our joy in Christ Jesus, even for a moment, must surely be a sin. I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't feel the need to to try and convince you guys that not having the joy of the Lord is a sin. But I I worry that it may be a, a sign that maybe you don't have the salvation that you think you do. I don't know. I'm not not trying to pile that on anybody or anything like that. But if the joy of the Lord just doesn't exist in you, I'd be doing some serious praying and asking the Lord about that, because at the very least, I'm going to say something's not right, right? So then, how do we have it, and how do we protect it? It's this simple and this complicated. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Know the Lord. Know Jesus. Know what He's done for you by reading your Bible. And not just reading it, but believing your Bible. It's the truth. It's God's Word. It's the Word of truth. There's stuff in there surely you won't understand. There's stuff in there I don't understand, but I believe it. And we've got to believe it. We've got to be careful. We don't want to get things twisted and all that kind of stuff. 
But we got to read our Bibles with the attitude that this is God's word that he's provided to me and it is true and it's good for me. So read your Bible, believe your Bible, and do your Bible. Do what it says. It's not about hearing the word only or reading the word only or believing the word only, but doing the word of God. And I believe that those things will help us foster and provide for us the joy of the Lord and will protect it. And I want to leave you with one last verse to kind of sum everything up. This is Jesus speaking in John 15, verses 9 through 11. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So abide in the love of Christ by keeping his commandments. Read your Bible and know the joy of the Lord. Thank you. Amen, amen. Let's give Chas another hand, our brother. Amen. Speaking of joy, and, and the verse I was speaking about earlier of Peter, Peter said, the great, May grace and peace be with you through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That grace and that peace that he talks about come through your relationship with Jesus. Come through knowing the word of God. Come through reading through the word of God. Come from believing the word of God within your heart. I can speak that from experience. We never seen God. We never seen Jesus. We read his word. I've read his word. I believe in his word. I trust him. And it brings peace to my heart. <laughs> mm. When you think about it, it's grace, it brings peace to your heart. That joy that Chaz is so speaking about, that unspeakable joy is knowing <laughs> that whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. That all things work for the good of those who love God. That's something to hope in, church. That's, that's just the word of God. If we trust in that and we believe in that, that grace, that peace will be yours, that joy will be yours. All because of our faith in the word of God. Not that we can even see God. No one has. Just believing in that this mm, is the breath of God. You can have all the peace you want right here. All the joy you want right here. Believing in those words. But it's our choice, right? It's our choice whether we want to put our peace in, in this fallen world that we must live in. It's our choice 
Or do we want that joy that the world brings, that temporary joy of our circumstances? Or do we want that everlasting joy? As he promises everlasting life, he also promises everlasting peace, everlasting joy, everlasting love, and hope. Whew. <laughs> All bottled up in the hope that Christ is returning for his true church. Why worry when things don't go our way in this world where there's grief, there's sorrow, there's despair? Yes, in our flesh we worry, but that's when we lean on our Father the most. We say, thank you, Father, for your grace. I know through this tough time that I'm going to be all right. Even if I don't make it through this tough time, even if, even if, it's my time. My time is up. I belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. So as, as, although this is a season of joy, hope, peace, and love, it's also a, a, a season of, of sorrow and despair. But if you belong to the Lord, if you love the Lord, know that all things are going to work out for your good. All things are going to work out for you good. Amen? Amen. Amen. These altars are open.